Well, it's cold outside and it's warm in here from all of you and what beautiful, beautiful singing. Uh, a couple years ago, maybe, maybe longer, we, we went through a series on uh, Sunday morning and evening. Uh, one was before we did our update to our Constitution, uh, but the other was talking about ecclesiology, the polity. Of the, of the church, and the Bible lays out the structure of the church, or what's also called the anatomy of the church, simply meaning how God has chosen to, to put this amazing thing called the Church of Jesus Christ together. And we said if you break it down, you look at the Bible as a whole, just 50,000 feet, there are three major features of, of the, the church's anatomy as far as it, its structure. Um, they're the visible leaders the church, which you can clearly see in the New Testament, sometimes called elders or overseers or pastors. Then there's the exemplary servers, model servants, which are sometimes called deacons. Um, And then there's the the maturing ministers. The body is constantly maturing and and growing, and that's the congregation. So you have elders and deacons and, and congregation, and God uniquely uses those parts to govern and to build up, build up his church. And the scripture is very clear on those, those three components. It has elders leading and deacons assisting and serving and the congregation affirming those things. Other details like uh, how many pastors or elders or deacons do you have, that those things are left up to a congregation. You know, how often should the church meet and uh, the ways in which they discuss matters of business, should you have committees or trustees, should you, uh, you know, those types of things. That, those are left up to an individual congregation to, you know, to decide. Uh, the foundation of the early church was, was developed over a period of about 60 years. I don't mean developed in the sense that God just turned them loose to try to figure it out. It was, it was the way that the Lord laid the foundation of his church, which Ephesians 2.20 tells us that after Christ ascended into heaven, then he sent the apostles and the prophets to lay the foundation of the church. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So who he is, the gospel. Uh, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. He died as a substitute for sinners. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Who Christ is, is the cornerstone of the, of the church and the gospel and then that, that truth, once he accomplished that work, he, he gave that, that message, the, wit, the witnesses to the apostles and prophets. They laid the, the foundation of the church. That's what you see happening in the book of Acts. And as you watch that foundation be, be laid, looking at that narrative that, that's there, you begin to see this structure take form, the Lord's ordained structure for his church. So the book of Acts describes that process then the epistles come along and give specifics to the church. This is how the foundation was laid. And then here are epistles written to the church that give prescriptive commands and prohibitions. And so you'll know how you're, you're to handle yourself in the house of God, the, the, those types of things. Which means that what we understand about church structure, you can observe in, in that development and in, and in those epistles. If you are doing anything contrary to that, then you would be outside of the the bounds of scriptures as the gospel spreads. Some of the features of the church's anatomy becomes very clear. You look at the book of Acts. Local church has a plurality of elders, also called 
they said pastors and overseers, and they're word-based servants. They have spiritual gifts that are primarily word-based, shepherding-based. They're applying the word to people's lives that may have other gifts. Then they're, the church has deacons serving the elders in the body. They're, they're ministry-based servants. See that also? And then the, the church also, when you look at the book of Acts and the epistles, it's governing its own affairs, meaning that there's no outside hierarchy that it's, that it's subject to. The local congregation identifies its, its leaders, the leaders that God's placing over it. It affirms its discipline. It upholds its doctrine. It resolves personal disputes. And it also manages the, the church, church membership. So that doesn't mean that it, everything comes before the church body, like carpet color or who mows the grass, but anything that comes before the church body as a whole. There are certain things that come before the whole church body, and anything that comes before the whole church body should be edifying. Its leaders uh, have to make decisions in that realm. And setting apart an elder is clearly something that comes before the, before the church body. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Meaning that whatever is done or brought before the whole church, it should be something that edifies, something that builds the, builds the church up. You've probably been part of these, like I have, grinding through a five-hour Baptist business meeting about how many pencils to buy in the budget is not edifying, right? The Bible implies a plurality of elders or pastors in a congregation, and they're the ones that the church, the church sets apart to... To, to lead it. Um, Acts 14, 23, when Paul and Barnabas were in Derby, they appointed elders for them in every church. Titus 1, 5, the apostle Paul left Titus in Crete and instructed him to, quote, appoint elders in every city. James 5, 14, James instructed his readers to call for the elders, plural, of the church to pray for those who are sick. So it's clear, anywhere you find leadership, you find multiple elders in a single congregation. Which brings us to tonight. Uh, a week or so ago, the elders announced to you that we were placing Clay Mackey before you to affirm as another elder of this church. He's, he's a pastor now, and probably been a long time since you read our congregation so, or co- uh, constitution. So you say, how can somebody be a pastor? And now you're asking him be to be, be an elder. A pastor is a term of, of function. So Clay has not been, even though he's been here for 10 years and over boundless ministry and many others, he's not a congregational elder and that's, that's functioning in this, in this significant role. He, he's a pastor now, meaning he's shepherding one of the, the ministries here. But as an elder, he would become an elder of the whole church. We currently have five men like that, five congregational elders. They're over the whole church, overseeing uh, myself as the lead uh, Pastor Brody, uh, Jeff Abbott, Don Bowman, and Rich Brown. And Clay then would be the, the sixth and the elder that will to be, uh, if you affirm him, that he may add some color to us, to our gray hair and no hair. Um, he turns 37 next week. And if that sounds young to you, remember, you crazy bunch of people turned this whole thing over to me at 35 when I was a solo pastor with no elders uh, at all. 
And those of you who know Clay know that he is a man of a exemplary character and has a sacrificial love for, for the church. And he's a product of this ministry. He started out here in college ministry and was trained in our internship and then Expositor Seminary. He shepherded the original, I believe it was the original, Koinonia class before he took over college ministry and finally the music ministry. And he even found the best part of him at TBC, his wife Mary. All his children have been born here. So we've trained him, examined him, affirmed him. We now affirm him to you and ask you to recognize him as one of our elders. And I'm going to ask him to come tonight and speak about his time at TBC and why he wants to do this. And it's a privilege for me not only to do what just happened in baptism, but now a son in the faith, if you will. Well, it is an overwhelming honor uh, to stand up here and um, just be put up before you uh, as a prospective elder. Uh, I don't really know what else to say uh, other than that. Um, The Lord is so kind. He is so overwhelmingly gracious. And he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And it is a sobering thought to be tasked by him to be an under-shepherd of his flock and to feed his lambs. And feeding his lambs, those are the words of, of Jesus to John. Uh, you'll remember that, John 21. Uh, to Jesus' words to Peter, excuse me, in John 21. And um, those words have rattled around for me for 12-plus years, uh, gripped my soul at various points, um, in the Lord working in me and training me for ministry. And the most recent was probably the most powerful and um, emotional for me. Uh, last January, a little over a year ago, I went to Israel the first time. Uh, I went with Pastor Brian, led that trip, some other TES students, other pastors were on that trip. And I remember standing on the bank of the Sea of Galilee where Peter was restored and Pastor Brian took us through that story and how Christ had tasked Peter, a, a newly humbled Peter, to tend his lambs. And then Pastor Brian took us to predictions in the prophets of how one day the Lord would raise up faithful shepherds in Israel's history. They had had unfaithful shepherds, but the day was coming when he would raise up for his people faithful shepherds. And he showed us how Peter was a fulfillment of that promise, but so were all the faithful pastors through the ages. And then, Brian, you turned to us and said, and so were you. And I was so overwhelmed in that moment. And uh, I just stood in the back of that group, just weeping. One of the other pastors on that trip came up and just gently asked me what I was feeling in that moment. You've been there, you know, what I, you know what I mean. It's like hard to put it into words. And even looking back, it's, it's hard. And, and obviously even now I'm getting emotional if I think about it too long. And I think I felt a tinge of what Peter must have felt on that, that beach standing there in front of Christ himself. I felt so overwhelmingly small 
so inadequate just standing there on the beach, so power, so powerless in the face of such an immense task to make disciples of all the nations. So unworthy, such a liability to Christ. And yet at the same time, I felt the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep with us and assuring us that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So the task is clear, feed his lambs. And that's what eldership's all about. It's all about the immensity of the task, not me tonight. And I know that I'm sharing, and and that's good. It's helpful for you to know more in depth, one of the men being put before you um, as an elder. But the heartbeat of shepherding, of eldering, is the task. It's to feed Christ's lambs, to go get his lost sheep, to see Christ worshipped among the nations. And it's a task far greater than any one of us. And I would much rather talk about that tonight uh, than my testimony, and I definitely will uh, toward, the, toward the end here. But tonight, Pastor Brian and the other elders have asked me to share a little bit more about my background, um, how I came to the Lord and how the Lord's been training me for ministry and also a little bit about my heart today and why I want to elder. So that's, that's kind of where we'll go over the next few minutes. But really, it's just uh, kind of my big chance to tell you all how much I love you. That's kind of, if I can hijack the, hijack the evening. Um, it's to just share how much I love this place. And like Pastor Brian said, I, I owe a lot to this ministry uh, because this church in God's providence uh, allowed me to really grow up here into the pastor that I am today. Many of you knew me in those early years, and you experienced firsthand how bad my sermons were. Some of you are still like, they're still kind of bad. <laughs> that's okay. I'm just for your edification, that's all. I also met my lovely wife, Mary, here, and I will be forever indebted um, to this place for that reason alone. And uh, like Brian said, had our three children here and in the hospital. Um, <laughs> It's hard to believe that my son, Colin, is seven, just turned seven, and uh, Eleanor is five, Juliet is three, and what a, what a privilege. But I'm endeared to this place. I'm so humbled and privileged to be up for consideration as one of the elders. So let me just give you a kind of a brief sketch of my testimony and what we may call as a call to ministry, just the burden, um, the aspiration, First Timothy 3, to shepherd the saints. Um, I was born in North Carolina. So definitely a Tar Heel. Um, That has nothing spiritual about it, but it's important to know about me. Um, I was born in 1987, so uh, puts me at 36 years old, 37 years old almost. So I keep trying to be a little little bit older. Uh, If you're a college student, you think that's old. If you're an experienced saint, um, you think I'm young. So can't please anybody. Uh, and it's okay. But I, yeah, the joke around our elder team and uh, us pastoral team is that if, if I become an elder, I will be the baby elder. And uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm, all, I'm all right with that. I'm embracing that. Still feel pretty young, okay? So anyway, I grew up in a rural town outside of Hickory, North Carolina. 
It was a Christian home. Uh, my parents, John and Liz, have sister Candace. You see them often. They come and visit us quite frequently uh, to see our, our kiddos and, I guess, us. Um, they invested deeply in my sister and I, and from the earliest ages I can remember, I knew there was a God, and I knew that he had a son, Jesus Christ, and that his son died for our sins, and that I was accountable to him. They took us to church. We grew up under the preaching of the gospel, uh, like many of you did. And as helpful as all that was, those were incredible seed-sowing times. Um, I did not come to Saving Faith until I was a freshman in college. So I decided to come to Lynchburg for LU. Uh, Part of that motive was to try to get my act together a little bit. Um, I had been living a double life for most of my junior and senior years of high school. And so I came here trying to recommit my life to Christ and kind of get right with him. But pretty soon, during my freshman year, the Lord began to expose that hypocrisy, and I, I realized I, I didn't know him. I didn't know the Bible, uh, and so I actually grabbed an NLT. I started reading it um, as much as I could. I, I started in Philippians, and the rest was history. Uh, the Lord drew me to himself through just reading his word and I had never heard someone talk like Paul talks in that letter, especially that part about death being gained for him, right? Because since I was a kid, I'd always been terrified to die and just, just had to think about something else. And I just I couldn't, get, couldn't get my mind around the fact that, that Paul was ready to die, in fact, preferred death so that he would be with Christ. And I knew when I read that that he had something that I didn't have. And so uh, the journey was on. I was, I was all about finding out about this Jesus who feared or who, who relieved Paul of the fear of death. And um, the Lord began to draw me to himself during that, sometime during that first year at Liberty. And he, he made me alive. I can't pinpoint a date or a time, but my desires began to change pretty radically. Um, I repented of a lot of sin. <laughs> And uh, it was pretty pretty open book, kind of from then on out, and uh, the Lord was just so gracious. And pretty quickly after that, almost instantly after that, I, I knew, the more I knew, the more I learned, uh, and I was learning a lot, fast, the more I learned, I just wanted to share it with, with anybody that would listen to me. So there were thousands of kids at LU in the, my same spot. They came to university thinking they were good kids, good Christian kids, and, but they didn't really have any desires for Christ or church or any of those things. And, and I would just share as much as I could possibly share with, with those, my peers, really. I couldn't get enough of the Bible, so I changed my major to biblical studies. And I was all over the place, theologically. I mean, the Lord was hemming me in because, you know, I was reacting to things, and, and it was... It was a wild ride in those, uh, in those early days. But the Lord was faithful to me. And the more I studied, the more I desired pastoral ministry, the more I desired church planting, I began to see kind of everything kind of came into focus. Of this is where the Lord is working in, in the world, is through the church. So I finished up LU 2009, and the Lord had been humbling me uh, a lot during that year, just through various, lots of various situations. And the more I learned, the more I realized I needed to learn. The more I realized how ignorant I really was and how ill-equipped I was. The more I studied the qualifications for a pastor, the more I realized that I was nowhere close to where I needed to be to become a pastor at 20-some years old. I wanted to go to seminary, but I was leery of more just education. What I desperately wanted was mentorship. 
And I knew that I needed to be trained by faithful pastors. I had studied the Bible enough to see that that was the model. Christ had 12 disciples. Paul had Timothy. And the list goes on and on. Timothy was tasked to train men in the church. So everything, as I saw it, when it came to training for ministry, happened within the church. It happened through mentorship. And so that was my heart's desire. But uh, as I came to the end of my time at LU, I was really kind of at a loss for what to do because that wasn't super popular. Lots of institutions, and many of them were good institutions, but not a lot of church-based stuff. So I decided to take a gap year after undergrad before I decided on what to do about seminary. Um, And it was during that year that I ended up living with the one and only Tim O'Shara. Many stories uh, I could tell about that year and the years to follow. We had many an unfortunate year together. I'm just kidding, Tim. This guy was unlike anybody I had ever met, okay? And you know what I mean. He was disciplined. He was godly. He was crazy smart. He slept like two hours a night, you know? Worked like how many hours? Like 90 hours a week at QAD? Dan, you kept him going, didn't you? It was, and he went to school full time. So I never met anybody like this guy. So I was intrigued kind of from day one. And uh, he went to this church called Timberlake, and he went to a seminary called the Expositor Seminary. And so I secretly, I've never told him this, but I secretly wanted to be like Tim. So I uh, decided to give TES a shot in, in Timberlake, and the rest was history on that as well. So I, I still remember going out to breakfast uh, with you, Pastor Brian, at Cracker Barrel. You remember that? Vaguely. Shows me how important I am. <laughs> well, I remember it. And uh, it was a good breakfast. I'll jog your memory. How about that? Oh, man. It was good. It was greasy, but it was good. And we sat down and... I just remember, I came in, I just just was humbled, I didn't feel like I belonged in in training, and Pastor Brian just just came right alongside me, and our hearts just resonated. And I sensed this humility from day one, and I thought, this is a man I want to learn under, and this is a place that I want to be. And so, uh, I I can honestly say, Pastor, that was one of the best decisions in my life, um, to come here. And so, in August of... 2010, I came on as a very insecure seminary student, uh, and I was sort of sheepishly aspiring to pastoral ministry, even though I felt like I didn't uh, deserve to be there. And once I got settled into the church, (laughs) the training began, uh, both through TES and through TBC. Um, I got to teach kids, run VBS programs, uh, go to China with Woody, um, which was a wild experience. Woody, are you here? I don't know if he's here tonight, but that was a wild experience. You should have him tell you about that. Uh, just began to disciple college students, teach youth group, preach on Sunday nights. The list could go on and on. Just so many, so many opportunities. Um, obviously, I met Mary, which was unbelievable. And the time in seminary, though, was hard. Okay, it was it was very hard. 
It was very testing of my character, de- testing to my aspiration for ministry. Our professors were seasoned shepherds, and they did not hold back. And I'm so thankful they didn't. They gave us a realistic vision of ministry and what it would take from us to be faithful. Like faithful over the long haul. And it was so hard, in fact, that I felt, I felt so inadequate for the task that I almost dropped out. In fact, I was going to drop out. Like I had, I had done it. I took the GRE over at Liberty. I, had apply, I was on, like on process to, to become a master's student of English. Uh, not because I didn't want to do ministry, but because I felt like I couldn't do it. It was too hard of a task. So I had, had all this lined up. And then one Sunday lunch, I'll never forget it, I went over to Rich and Christie's for lunch, uh, like everyone does at one point. <laughs> but it happened very often for me, and I ended up staying there later, which also happened very often. And I told Rich about my plan. And he rebuked me. And I'd never heard Rich say anything like that. You know Rich. I mean, he can rebuke you, and you feel like you were just affirmed, you know? (laughs) But he, he got in my face, and he said, Clay, you are making a mistake. He came alongside me and showed me, you said, said, brother, you're making progress. You took me to 1 Timothy. You were challenging me, saying, I think you're you're aiming at perfection here, and all that Timothy is, is required to do is make progress. He pointed that out to me, and he said to me very directly that he thought I should stay in seminary. And I was so rattled by his directness that, like, that was all I needed. I stayed in seminary. (laughs) I decided to to trust the Lord speaking through the mouth of of one of the, he wasn't an elder yet, but he was functioning like one. And and so, Rich, I just want to take a minute and thank you for that, brother. I know I've, I've said that before, but... That was huge. And as I reflected, you know, after that time, I reflect on that text, and I realized I had been incredibly self-focused, and I wasn't depending on Christ. I had turned my eyes to myself. And so what ended up happening is I turned my eyes away from myself after that conversation, and, and really, as I began to renew my mind on that front, And I began to turn my eyes to the Lord, trusting him with my aspirations for ministry. I asked him to close doors. I remember praying these prayers often. Lord, close the doors if you do not want me in seminary. I will gladly do something else if this is not what I'm cut out for. But this is my heart's desire. This is what I want to do. But I told him, I told the Lord in prayer that in the meantime... As long as the doors were open, I was going to run as hard and as fast toward ministry and toward training as I could to be as faithful to him as I could. And really, once I got my eyes off myself and toward the task of ministry and on Christ and then just being faithful to him, the Lord just really began to put wind in my sails. Um, just kind of got out of that cycle of, of introspection and, and onto the task. He began to grow me. I got married. I started teaching what eventually became Koinonia. And the Lord just poured grace upon grace on, on that. 
And eventually, you know, we're 2015 now, I, I finished up TES, came on staff here full-time as Brian's assistant, 2016, somewhere around in there. About a year later, after Pastor Nate was sent out, um, Pastor Brian also asked me to take over the college ministry, and uh, take over is not really the right word, uh, come alongside Rich Brown, uh, who is the real college pastor, uh, that's like what I would like to call him. And it, it's hard to believe, but I'm, I'm in my eighth year now in that role. I think it's eight years in that, in that role. And again, the Lord's poured out grace upon grace. It's a special group, great ministry team, great group of students. And even though we're, we're accustomed to calling me the college pastor, you know, like Pastor Brian said, I've still viewed myself all this time in, in a very real way as still in training. These last eight years or so that I've been on staff, have been an incredibly valuable experience. They've prepared me well by God's grace for the elder candidacy that I've been under this last year. I've had the privilege to listen to the seasoned shepherds work through complex shepherding situations over and over and over again after eight years. I've absorbed so much from from Mark and his emphasis on biblical counseling. It leaks out in, in all of my preaching. I've had so many more opportunities to teach and counsel myself, just being in Boundless and just being in the ministry. Been able to mentor young seminary guys and get them going in in ministry and usefulness. My gifts have been refined and my weaknesses have been exposed. And I'm far from having arrived and I, I never will fully arrive. But these last eight years of intensive ministry at this church, have, has that's been an invaluable gift to me. I know I have so much more to learn. I'm going to keep on learning. But I feel prepared for the task. I've watched the Lord turn an insecure seminary student into a dependent pastor. And the process was not easy, but it was infinitely worth it. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm grateful for the Lord's shepherding of me and his promise to continue that. I'm grateful for the elders here, my brothers. I'm grateful for the ministry of my fellow staff brothers and how they've shaped me, especially Tim. And I'm grateful for the congregation and and how you've loved me this entire time. Not just the last eight months or so, but the whole time I've been here. And it's a great privilege, the greatest privilege of my life, Think about paying all that forward and joining the ranks of the faithful elders officially here at TBC. It would be my highest privilege and joy to serve you and alongside these men. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish But let me just share a little bit about what's on my heart for ministry here. Three minutes, maybe. Why I want to be an elder here at this church. I thought I would get emotional about this part, so disclaimer. I didn't think I would get emotional about the last part. First, like I just said, I counted a privilege to work alongside such a seasoned team of men. Many of these elders are twice my age, and I still have a lot to learn. 
And anybody that knows me or has ministered around me knows I'm an idea guy. I'm a take-the-hill guy, a lot of energy guy. And that zeal is great, but it needs channeling and it needs wisdom. And sometimes a few of my ideas need shooting down by men much wiser than myself. And so I am grateful to be able to continue shepherding alongside these men. They're men I trust with my very life. They are my dearest friends and my closest ministry comrades. And it is my joy to continue shepherding alongside these guys. So that's one reason I'm eager to elder here. Another is this one. Probably the deepest longing of my heart and the most consistent I've had for at least the last 12 years is a deep longing to see the saints matured. To see the members of Timberlake Baptist Church continue to be equipped to fight sin and to grow in Christ's likeness. To see newer believers discover their gifts, learn to use them meaningfully in the body to make the body grow. To see older saints settling into the task of discipling the younger. That's what gets me going. That's what keeps me up late. That's what motivates this study and the extra counseling meetings and the leadership development. It's the thrill of watching the saints mature. My heart resonates with Paul when he writes in 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight: Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that is my heart by the grace of God. And that's what I want to see continue in this church more than anything else. And if I can play a small part in that. Alongside these other guys. A small part in that maturation. It's a joy of my life. And finally my my heart aches to see. More churches planted to see Christ's glory extend both in our nation and in all the nations. Being in college ministry has only deepened this burden. I can't tell you how many times some student comes up to me and says something like this, Clay, I've never experienced what I am experiencing at TBC. This is the first healthy church I have ever been a part of. Do you think TBC could help my hometown? Do you think you could send us someone to revitalize a church in our area? My parents have nowhere to go. Nothing like this exists where I'm from. Four to five times a semester I hear that. Not only is the need urgent in the U.S., it is doubly urgent abroad. Many people still have yet to hear the name of Christ. So why stay? Why, 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 if you, why are you going to stay if the need's so great? I've asked myself that a thousand times over the last ten years. Because of this, the potential of this church to continue to meet that need in the coming years. In God's providence, this church has the potential to become an Antioch. It arguably is already becoming an Antioch, where there is a growing surplus of men being trained, trained for a purpose, trained to be launched, 
What we've prayed for and labored for over the years is becoming a reality. God is raising up men among us. He is sending us men to be equipped and trained. LU is in our backyard. Our college ministry is thriving by His grace. And young men are eager to be trained and sent. But that does not happen automatically. It takes the other pastors to tend those young saplings to make sure they've been tested and have become experienced shepherds themselves. It takes pastors to help place them, pastors to help be there for them as a resource when they're in the midst of crisis. And that's what I long to help with. That's what I long to play a small part in, however I can. I long to see churches planted and revitalized more than I can even articulate here. And to help with that process, to spend my life training and sending men, would be the second greatest thrill of my soul. And that's why I'm excited to elder here. For however long the Lord gives me, I don't know. I don't know if I have tomorrow. The potentiality of this church is incredible, just where God has sovereignly placed us. In Lynchburg, right here where we're at. Difficult days are coming. They're coming for sure. But the difficulty also brings exponential fruit if we are faithful. So in the end, really, honestly, whether I'm an elder or not, these are the greatest burdens of my heart. I'm going to keep doing them whether I'm an elder or not. And I want to use this little life, all that I've got left, to pour it out to these ends. And to help shepherd you to pour it out to these ends too. And I'm going to stop there before I launch. Okay, I could talk about these things all day. So if you have any particular questions, I'd love to field those. And uh, again... Happy and humbled uh, to be considered to be one of your elders.